Welcome, everybody. We're glad you are with us from wherever it is that you may be joining us. We're glad that you're here today. We miss seeing you. We hope that we will be back together with you guys soon in one of our campuses. Uh, so we're all praying for that day to come sooner than later. If you are missing us, we hope you're missing us. And if that's true, then uh, we have an opportunity for you to get involved, get connected, even while we're apart. And the easiest way to do that would be to jump into the inside track. That's something we start at the beginning of every month. It's a way for you to get to know us as a church and for us to get to know what it is you're looking for in a church. And so if you want to do that, the easiest next step would be to text the word CONNECT to 320-320 and someone from our team will follow up with you. So it's been a wild ride. These last few months have been super interesting for us. Back in March, we were all told to shelter in place and none of us knew what that meant. And honestly, we all panicked. We ran out and immediately bought up all the toilet paper and dry goods we could find from every grocery store that was within a five mile radius of us. And I have here, that, I don't know if you know this, but there's, that's not the only stuff we bought. Like there's a, a whole list of things that we've begun to buy more of in this quarantine than before it began. I've got right here a list of the top 10 things that we have bought more of since the quarantine began. Now, this list doesn't include toilet paper because that one's a given. Incidentally, you should know that I lost my toilet paper buying privileges during this quarantine. It's right. It's true. I, I mean, I don't know if any other husbands can relate, but at a time when toilet paper was super scarce, I decided I would go out and procure toilet paper for the family. And I brought home this. Now, you probably can't tell what that is from where you're sitting, but this is single ply toilet paper. And when my wife saw this, she looked at me with complete disdain on her face as if to say, just because we are in quarantine does not mean we have to live like animals. <laughs> and right there on the spot, I lost my toilet paper buying privileges, which was okay. I didn't really want to buy the toilet paper anyway. But I have noticed since then, there have been two rolls of toilet paper in the bathroom. There's the good stuff, the two-ply actually on the toilet paper hanger. And then there's this stuff on the floor beside it. And this is for me, which is okay. I'll manage. So, but I want to go through this list of the top 10 things that we've been, Brandon, you can take that home to your wife if you want. <laughs> the top 10 things that we've been buying more of since this quarantine began. Some of these probably will be a no-brainer for you. Number one, cleaning supplies. That one makes sense. We've all been trying to do our fair share to keep the germs at bay. Number two, alcohol. I'm going to bet this was a close second. Wine sales have been up dramatically since February. Whatever you got to do to cope, I guess. Number three, puzzles. That's right. The item that we all use to re-gift to one another, that has suddenly become a hot commodity and they're no longer on sale anywhere. Number four, video games or video game consoles. I think these are otherwise known as babysitters to parents who need a 30-minute break here and there. Number five, bikes. Back in March and April, you can find a bike anywhere. You can find one locally, online, eBay, didn't matter. You couldn't find any bikes. Number six, sidewalk chalk. Now I have appreciated this one because as Dana and I have walked through the neighborhood, we've seen lots of sidewalk and driveway art. So respect to all of you sidewalk chalk artists out there. 
Number seven, blue light glasses, which makes sense. You know, we've all been on a bunch of video calls since this began. Number eight, bread makers, I guess for people who just have lots of time on their hands and really like bread. Number nine, home workout equipment, probably also for the people who bought bread makers. <laughs> and number 10, elastic clothing. I'm going to guess that's for the people who bought bread makers, bought home workout equipment, then didn't use it and now feel a whole lot more comfortable in something elastic. I think elastic's a big one. That one might be here to stay. That could be a trend that lives beyond this season because we have lived our lives in elastic clothing for the last few months. From the waist up, it looks like business as usual, but let's be honest, from the waist down, nothing but elastic. <laughs> I think people are going to choose clothes from now on the way they have chosen a fine wine. You watch, you're going to go into the Gap or Old Navy and you're going to see some dude walk in looking for jeans and the salesperson is going to bring him a couple of pair and show them to him and he's going to go, hmm, those are nice, but what do you have in elastic. You watch. It's going to happen. Some of our team's going to be wearing elastic skinny jeans up here. You just won't know it. It's interesting to me how we've all experienced the same event, this quarantine, from different perspectives. Same thing, but kind of through a different lens. And sometimes that happens in life. And today I want to look at a story where that happened in the Bible. We're wrapping up a series today. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, it's a series called Re-Entry. And it's a series about what it's going to look like to come out of this season of quarantine and re-enter the lives that we've known. But there's some challenges that come with that because to thrive during this pandemic, there have been some things that we've had to start doing. And there have also been some things that we've had to stop doing. And now, as we begin to move out of this season, we're going to have to ask ourselves, what are we taking with us and what are we going to leave behind? And so for that reason, we've chosen the book of Acts as the foundation for this series. Now, Luke wrote the book of Acts as a sequel. It's basically part two to the gospel that bears his name. In Luke's gospel, we see the life of Jesus. We get to know him as God's one and only son. We also see his death, his resurrection, and his ascension back into heaven. And Luke begins Acts right where he left off in his gospel, which is what makes it a perfect book for this series. Because as you can imagine, after Jesus died on the cross and then rose again from the dead, everything changed. Everything was different. And the disciples, they were faced with a question that some of us might be asking ourselves right now which is this, after everything we have just seen and experienced, where do we go from here? Because there was no going back. Everything was different. You can't see a man surrender his life to death only to reclaim it again through resurrection and then go back to the life you knew. It doesn't work. So today we're going to look at what re-entry looks like for a couple of the disciples in the third chapter of Acts. Now I'm going to give you the highlights from the chapter because there's a lot here. And then we're going to take a look at some things that I think Luke wanted to make sure we didn't miss. So in this chapter, it begins with the disciples in Jerusalem. 
And it was during a celebration called Pentecost. Penta meaning 50. This was 50 days after Easter. And it was one of three pilgrimage festivals that the Jewish people celebrated. There was Passover. You're probably familiar with that one. And that was to celebrate God's mercy. And then there was Sukkot, which was to celebrate God's provision. And then there was Pentecost, which was to celebrate two things, the giving of grain, agricultural blessing, and then the giving of the Torah or God's law. And so these were huge festivals because they were pilgrimage festivals. People came from all around areas in uh, surrounding areas of Jerusalem to be in the city to celebrate. And so Jerusalem was packed at this time, packed with people. And Peter and John were also there. They were heading to the temple to pray. And on their way, they saw a man who was lame, lame from birth is what Luke tells us, meaning he had some kind of condition that left his body weak or frail or otherwise disabled. And and during this time, people believed that if you suffered from a condition like that, it was punishment for sin. It was because of something you did or your family did, but in some way you deserved this particular condition. Now, Jesus took that idea apart in another gospel, but this is what people used to believe. And for this particular man, his body was so weak and frail that he couldn't work. And during the first century in the Middle East, if you couldn't work, your only option was to beg for money. Now, he did have a couple of friends, a few friends that would carry him to and from the temple every day to this high traffic area right in front of one of the gates where he could beg for money. And on this particular day, Peter and John were walking to the temple and the man spotted them and he asked them for some money. Peter and John stopped and Peter locked eyes with the man. And then Peter responded and said to him, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, walk. Then Luke tells us that Peter took him by the hand and helped him up. And immediately the man was healed. In fact, Luke includes that the man jumped and and ran and praised God. I mean, who wouldn't, right? A moment before, all he'd ever known was a body that was broken. And yet in one moment, his body's transformed and he's healed. So he's overcome with joy. And because of the commotion, the crowd began to notice. They, they recognized this guy because remember, he was a regular. He used to post up in front of the temple every day to beg for money. So they're like, wait, isn't that, isn't that the guy? And they start gathering around. And as this crowd forms around Peter and John, Peter gives one of the more famous speeches in the book of Acts. Peter starts by saying, why are you so surprised? It wasn't by our name or our power that this man was healed. It was by the name and power of Jesus Christ. The one that you crucified, the one that we tried to tell you about. It turns out he really was the son of God. And when you killed him, he rose from the dead to prove it. And we have seen him with our own eyes. And then Peter invites the Jewish people to answer a question. He starts by presenting a word to them, the word repent. It's a word that you see 10 times throughout the book of Acts. In Hebrew, it means to turn around, but in Greek, it means something slightly different. In Greek, it's the word metanoia, from which we get our word metamorphosis or change. And so what Peter was asking the Jewish people to consider was this. After what you just saw and experienced, 
is it time for you to change your mind about this person, Jesus? And so that's a summary of the a third chapter in the book of Acts. And like I said, there's a ton here. So I'm going to break it down into three parts. There are three people or groups of people that experienced this event, but they experienced, experienced the event through different lenses, different perspectives. There was the man, there was the crowd, and then there were Peter and John. And so we're going to take a look at each of them. And then I'm going to offer you some questions, some things that might be worth kicking around as we re-enter the lives that we've known. Let's start with the man. We know that the man was born with a condition that left him weak and frail. We know that he had to beg for his basic needs every day. We know that he had a few friends who were willing to take him to and from the temple so that he could do that. And we know that the people thought that in some way his condition was his fault, that it was punishment for some kind of sin. This guy had it pretty tough. It was pretty rough. I mean, he had to beg for his basic needs every day. He had zero independence and he was socially rejected and pitied by everyone except for a few friends. So what in the world are we supposed to learn from this guy? Well, I think there are a few things. I'm going to focus on two. The first thing that I think we can learn from this man is that it is important for us to ask for help. We were not meant, we were not meant to carry our burdens by ourselves. And I think Luke wants to highlight here that it's important for us to learn to raise our hand and ask for help. Whether we're struggling physically or emotionally or spiritually, we need to be willing to, to raise our hand and ask for help. You know, generally there are, there are three reasons why we don't do this. It's either pride, where we think we don't need help, we're above it, or it's shame, meaning we aren't worth help, we're beneath it, or it's fear. We're afraid that if we ask for help, it will mean in some way that we are weak or incompetent. Well, this, this man didn't have a choice. He had to overcome all of those hurdles, and he did, and so he asked for help. Verse 3 tells us that the man saw Peter and John, and he asked them for money. And even though money was the man's most immediate need, it was not his greatest need, which is yet one more reason why we need to be willing to ask for help because we may have an idea of what we need. But if we have the right people around us, they may be able to, may be able to help us understand what we truly need. I remember when Dana and I were about 10 years into our marriage. Incidentally, we just celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary like a week ago. So I expect all of you to be applauding at home. I'm grateful for my wife. She is the best thing that's ever happened to me. So 26 years with her has just been an amazing journey. But when we were about 10 years into our marriage, her sister began to go through a pretty tough divorce. And it was hard on her. It was hard on Dana. And eventually it became hard for us. And so we started to talk and thought, you know what, maybe we should go talk to somebody. Maybe we should go see somebody, a counselor who can help us kind of sort all of this out. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, yes, we should go talk to a counselor who can help you sort all of this out. I know that's not the right idea. Please don't send me emails. So we went to a counselor, sat down with her. And after about 45 minutes of listening to us, she stopped and said, so Dana, if it's okay with you, I'd like to talk to you again in maybe a couple of weeks. And I was like, yes, she sees it. She's going to help my wife sort this stuff out. 
And then she looked at me and she said, Adam, I'd like to see you weekly for the next couple of months. And I was like, wait, what? What just happened? I went in there with an idea of what I needed. I needed her to help my wife. But she was able to help me see some things that were going on in me that I needed to address. She was able to help me see what I truly needed. And that's kind of the point. If we surround ourselves with the right people, they can help us understand what we truly need. So as we prepare to re-enter our lives, here are a couple of questions that you may want to write down to consider later on. Do you have the right people around you? Do you have the right people around you? And is it time for you to ask for help? Now, another thing that I think Luke wanted us to understand from this man's perspective was this. What has been true about you your whole life does not have to be true about you for the rest of your life. So verse two tells us that the man had dealt with this problem since birth, so a long time. But in a moment of faith, he was healed forever. It wasn't even his faith. All he'd ever known from birth was a broken body. And some of us can relate to that because we were born into a kind of dysfunction or brokenness, whether it's personal or has to do with our family, that has just been difficult for us. And we would have given anything to change it. And I think Luke wants, us, wants to remind us here that healing is still possible. In a very personal exchange, I think the heart of God is revealed in this miracle. Verse four, Peter te Luke tells us that Peter and John looked straight at the man. Incidentally, how many times a day do you think people walked by this man and tried to avoid looking at him? Yet as they walked by, they engaged with him. They looked straight at him and they invited the man to look at them. And then I love this next part. Peter said to the man, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. I think what Peter was saying to the man was this. Listen, I don't have what you came here for. But I do have what you gave up on a long time ago. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. What I love about Peter's word choice here is how opposite it is from the man's experience. Peter uses the word egairo, which is a Greek word that means to rise up or stand. This man had literally been held down by something all of his life. Have any of you ever felt like that? Like there's just this weight on you, something that is holding you down. Could be the weight of regret, the weight of shame, the weight of fear, could be any number of things. But Peter looks right at this guy and says, it's time to rise up. It's time for you to stand. And the man stood to his feet and his life was changed forever. Here's the great news. I don't think those words were only for this man. I think they were for you and me too. I think God the Father is inviting each of us to rise up, to stand up. But like the man, we may have to be willing to leave behind some things to do it. By taking Peter's hand, the man would have to leave behind the only life he'd ever known. And it's easy for us to judge because we think, uh, the guy was a beggar, probably not a hard life to leave behind. But if we're being honest, 
it's not so different for us because we too, we have lived the life of a beggar at times, begging for hope, begging for joy, begging for peace or love, looking for those things in all of the wrong places when they are offered to us abundantly in a relationship with God. And so the questions for us to think about are these. As we re-enter life, is it time for you to leave something behind? And whose hand do you need to grab to help you do it? All right, so the next group of people I want to look at is the crowd. Now, there are probably lots of things that we could see from the crowd's perspective, but I just want to focus on one of them. Now, I think this is probably one of the very first miracles that occurred after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And so in an attempt to make sense of what had happened, the crowd, obviously, this would have been a big deal to see a man who had begged for money every day of his life and suddenly is walking. So Jerusalem being packed at the time and a crowd forming quickly around him in an attempt to make sense of what had just happened, the crowd said, hey, isn't that the guy? Isn't that the one that we used to see all the time here begging for money? Verse nine, Luke tells us, when the people saw the man walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging in the temple. The way that Luke phrases this is interesting to me. Because what he's saying here is, when the crowd saw the man, they saw the person he used to be. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple. And what's important for us to remember here is this. In this life, there are always going to be people who see us as the person we used to be instead of the person we are becoming. They recognize us by our past brokenness instead of the victory that we have found in Christ. It seems like the crowd did eventually put it together, but in the time that it takes people to see us as the person we are becoming versus the person we used to be, it can be painful to always be seen in the context of our past mistakes. Some of us can really relate to that because we've been trying to live down our past for a long, long time, all the while feeling like people continue to see us as the person we used to be versus the person we are becoming. And you know who can be the worst about this? Us. We can be absolutely horrible to ourselves on this. Horribly unkind, constantly seeing ourselves in the context of our past mistakes, our past brokenness, our past pain. We want to move forward in our life, but we just get stuck because all we ever see is the person we used to be. And so here's the question that might be worth kicking around today. Would it encourage you to know that God's plan for you was to make your future greater than your past? Isaiah seemed to understand this. And he wrote in in the 43rd chapter of his book, this is what the Lord says. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Here's some great news for you. 
God did not redeem our past only to leave us in it. When he bought us back on the cross, he opened up a new way for us. He opened up a way for us to live into the joy, peace, hope, and love that he died to bring us. But when we look for those things outside of God, that's where we posture ourselves as beggars. C.S. Lewis says it this way, God cannot give us happiness and peace outside of himself because they are not there. Now, the last group of people I want to look at here is Peter and John. I think there are lots of things that we could see from their perspective on these events, but from what Luke has written, I'm going to focus on just four really quick ones. So you may want to write these down. The first comes from verse one. The text tells us that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer and includes this detail at about three in the afternoon. They were heading to a specific place for a specific purpose and at a specific time. And as they were going, they passed by this man. And what did they do? Even though they had somewhere to be and a time by which they needed to be there, they stopped and they entered into this man's situation. Peter and John were interruptible. They were interruptible. I don't know what the pace of your life looks like, but let me ask you this. Are you interruptible? Do you allow yourself to be interrupted by the opportunities that God puts in your path? This is definitely something that Peter and John would have learned from Jesus. Jesus always had somewhere to be, but he was never in a hurry. And he was always present when he was with people. So whether you were a spouse or a parent or a sibling or a coworker or a boss or whatever, if you want to show somebody that you care about them, then give them your time. Peter and John were willing to give this man something that I'll bet very few other people gave him. They were willing to be interrupted. And being interruptible positions us to make an impact in moments where we would otherwise miss them. And how many of you know that impacting one person's life can ripple out to thousands? Let me show you what I mean. We all love the idea of having an impact. We, we like to think about ways where we can make a difference. In fact, it's one of our values here at the church, make a difference. But if you want to make a difference, then you may have to let yourself be interruptible. For Peter and John, all we have to do is look at the next chapter. Four verses in to chapter four, Luke tells us that 5,000 people were saved. That happened on the heels of this event, all because Peter and John were willing to be interrupted by a lame man begging in front of the temple. So here are the questions for us. Is there someone that God continues to put in your path? And are you allowing yourself to be interruptible in those opportunities? Now, something else from Peter and John's perspective is this. Luke tells us in verse 8 that the man went with them to the temple. Not only was the man healed, but now he was also invited. And as leaders, even as friends, we need to ask ourselves this question. If people follow us, where will they end up? Where will they end up? Because he followed Peter and John, this man ended up in the temple, in prayer and in community. You probably already know this, but 
friendships are not neutral. They're either making us better or they're making us worse, but they're almost never neutral. And so we have to consider what kind of friend are we? And here's the question I'd invite you to answer today. If people walk with me, where will they end up? If people walk with me, where will they end up? Something else I think Luke wants to highlight for us in this chapter is this. Notice what Peter did after he told the man to walk. Verse seven says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. So not only did Peter tell the man, rise up, walk. He took him by the hand and he helped him up. I don't know if these words have ever been more important in the life of our country. Look, I don't, I don't care who you are or where you are with God. I don't care what your race is or what your class is. It is our responsibility to do this for every person that we encounter. If we see somebody who is held down by something, anything in their lives, then we should see it as both a responsibility and a privilege to help them stand. Peter reached out to this man and helped him up. It changed his life forever. We should be willing to do the same. I don't need to tell you how important that is in our country right now. With everything that we've been experiencing, we need to be willing to help one another stand up and live into the life that God created us to live. So here's the question. Who should you be extending your hand to right now? Who can you extend your hand to right now? All right, here's the last thing that stands out to me from Peter and John's perspective on these events. Peter told the man plainly, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. What exactly did he have? Well, Luke gives us an idea in the very next sentence where Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter and John believed something about the name of Jesus. They believed something that not everyone else believed or even understood. Remember, these were some of the same guys who saw Jesus crucified and they were crushed. And then they saw him resurrected from the dead and they were probably confused. And then they saw him ascend into heaven and they became confident in the name and power of Jesus Christ. So the thing they had to give away was their faith. No silver, no gold, just a confidence in the name and power of Jesus as God's one and only son. That's what they were given and that's what they were willing to give away to this man. And, and, and therein lies the point. I don't know what you've been given, but I do know that it was never meant to just stay with you. It was meant to be given away. Peter and John had faith and that's what they gave away. It just so happened to change this man's life forever. And then 5,000 more people their lives were changed forever. So here's the question, a couple of questions for us to consider. What's been given to me? And is it time for me to give that away to somebody else? Maybe you have faith. Maybe you have wisdom or experience. Maybe you have friendship or a willingness to listen. Maybe you have hope or encouragement. Maybe you have financial resources or skills that you can offer. And maybe, just maybe, giving that away 
could change somebody's life forever. So let me wrap up. I don't know who you relate to most in this story, but my guess is that we can all relate to somebody. Maybe some of you feel like the man. Maybe you feel broken. Maybe that's physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Maybe you feel, feel held down by something in your life. Well, can I encourage you today with this? You were meant to rise up from that place. You were meant to live in freedom. Paul tells us in Galatians 5, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Your first step towards freedom might be just like the man's. You might need to be willing to raise your hand and ask for help. So maybe today, maybe today is the day that you send that text or make that phone call and ask for the help that you need. Maybe some of you relate more to Peter and John. You've been growing in your relationship with God, growing in your faith, and you want to make a difference. Well, here are the questions I have for you. Am I allowing myself to be interrupted by the opportunities God is putting in my path? And who is the person that I may need to reach out to? And what has been given to me that I may need to now be willing to give away to someone else? I believe God has uniquely equipped all of us, each of us, to make a difference. Today could be the beginning of that journey for you. For others, maybe you relate more to how the crowd experienced these events. When they saw the man, they saw the person he used to be, not the person he was becoming. Maybe you struggle with that too. Can I encourage you? You're not alone. I feel that at times. The team feels that at times. It's something all of us wrestle with. And you may not know this, but Augustine of Hippo, that guy we now call St. Augustine, that guy, he had a pretty wretched past and it wrecked him for a long, long time. He described himself as having two wills, one that wanted to serve God and one that seemed to only want to serve himself. And eventually he found himself in tears over that battle within him. And he was crying out from his knees to God. And as he was doing that, he heard a voice say, take and read. And he looked up and he saw a small child handing him a Bible. And he quickly grabbed it, opened it, and landed at Romans 13, where he read about God's authority. And in that moment, he decided to take himself off of the throne and put God there instead. And suddenly that battle within him began to resolve. And here's the cool part. This is the same guy who would later write these words. Trust the past to the mercy of God. Trust the present to the love of God. And trust the future to the providence of God. What I'm saying is this. It may be time to resolve that battle within you. That battle that has you seeing yourself as the person you used to be, not the person you are becoming. And if we're gonna learn anything from Augustine, it's that the only way to win that battle is through surrender. The kind of surrender where we dethrone ourselves and we enthrone the God who died to set us free. Let me pray for you. 
Father, we do thank you for your word and how it's so complete. There's so much here for us to help us understand who you are and who we are and the lives that we were meant to live. God, we thank you for the freedom that you are calling us into. We pray for the courage to take that next step into the relationship that you've offered. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.